Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. Diving in a new series in the Gospel of John, a series that we're calling Dwelt Among Us, and that uh, is actually the exact language that we just read in John 1.14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And here's, here's what that means in short. Okay, so the creator, transcendent God himself, what John is calling the word, the logos, that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and dwelt among us, lived among us, was like us in every way, save sin. And that claim is a uniquely Christian claim. Of all the religions in the world, of all the philosophies in the world for that matter, none of them claim that is a uniquely Christian claim that the the God of the Bible is is high enough to, to literally hold the universe in his hands, but he is close enough to count the tears on our cheeks. That is a uniquely Christian claim of both the transcendence and eminence of God, the nearness of God. But even more to the point, what this means is that if you want to know God, if you want to know God, you don't need to look any further than the person of Jesus and only Jesus. Because Jesus, according to what we just read and according to basically every page of the Bible, Jesus is God and fully discloses who God is. And here's what we find out. I said this last week. Here's what we find out when we look at this Jesus and what he's doing. We find out that God is always pursuing us. God is a pursuing God and he is always moving towards us in the person of Jesus. That is what the incarnation is all about. God's movement towards us despite our movement away from him. And that is true even now. And so what I, I, I hope that we do, I actually, the inspiration for this series came over the summer because for some reason when a pandemic hits, Berkeley students decide now's the time to fall in love. So we had five weddings over the summer and uh, three of them I officiated and it was really fun writing the homilies for those weddings. And uh, I did a lot of them in the Gospel of John. And I realized, man, there's so many of these like fun, weird stories about Jesus. Um, and, and I thought it would be really interesting. Um, and I was unpacking them for um, the longevity of their marriage as encouragement for their marriage, for the folks that were getting married. Um, but I thought this would be really fun to unpack over a series. When we look at these sometimes really strange scenarios that Jesus is in, and look at where he goes, and look at how he acts, and uh, follow his life, and we begin to put some flesh on, pardon the pun, how God is always moving towards us in Jesus. So like when I say this big grandiose claim of like, God is always moving towards you, well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean concretely that, that Jesus is moving toward you? And so throughout the Gospel of John, we see these sometimes hilarious moments, like when Jesus heals a blind man and he spits in the dirt. And he rubs his hands together and then he does this on the eyes. Like, what is he up to? Or in John 21, when he 
decides to make breakfast for his disciples and he just says, hey, come and have breakfast. What is Jesus telling us about who God is through these normal, ordinary, sometimes humorous things that he's doing? So the first place that we're going to look tonight is at a party. Jesus at a party. Some of you, uh, the, the churchy, youth groupy folks in here might already be like, Jesus didn't go to parties. Uh, Mom, Dad said he didn't. Um, Jesus went to parties, threw parties, and even better news, he's throwing a big A party at the end of times that uh, all God's people will be at, and the wine will never run out, but I'm getting ahead of myself. He's at a wedding party here, right? And um, let me just set the scene for you really quickly. Uh, There's three points tonight, uh, by the way. Um, We're going to get to the first in just one second. Let me set the scene for you really quickly. They're in Cana in Galilee, which is relatively close to Jesus' hometown in Nazareth. His friends are at this party. His disciples are at this wedding party. And even his mother, Mary, doesn't talk about Joseph, but his mother, Mary, is at this party. And we're going to pick up in verse 2, which just so happens to be the first point. In verse 2, I'm going to make a really, the first point is going to be really brief, and we're just going to read a brief part of verse 2. But let me read it really quickly. It says this, in addition to all these people, Jesus was also invited to the wedding. Jesus was also invited to the wedding. He's invited to the party. And here's the brief point that I want to make to you. And here's point one. If you invite Jesus, he will come. If you invite Jesus, he will come. If you invite him into your life, he will come. Now, before you think I'm about to have an altar call and it's about to get really creepy and those of you who've never set foot in a religious space again, like, here we go. Emotional manipulation, it's about to come. The, the, the joke's actually on us because he's going to come whether you invite him or not. Like, we didn't invite him to incarnate and become flesh on earth and he just shows up. So um, that just basically ruined my entire point. But the point still stands because we have agency, right? God in his sovereign providence gives us agency If you invite Jesus, he will come. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that very simple thing at the outset here, because you see, this wedding party is not just a wedding party. It's not just a wedding party. It's a metaphor. This is a real event that actually happened that Jesus went to, but it's also a metaphor for all of life, as Jesus will indicate in the coming verses. So you see, in many ways, this life, our life now, Before sin entered the world, we could call it a party. It was a party. Before sin and destruction and brokenness entered the world, it was a party. And it wasn't a party in that all the time and always people were dancing and drinking and keg standing and ignoring obligations. Certainly, they were having good times in moderation, I guess. What I mean is life before sin was a party in the sense that it was full of joy full of wholeness, full of what um, the Old Testament text in the Hebrew calls shalom. This really, this intended state for the world. Everything was right because we were loving our neighbor and loving God and living in the presence of God and encountering the love of God on a day-by-day basis, moment-by-moment, minute-by-minute, second-by-second basis. And so it's worth stating this now. You were made for life with God. 
You were made for life with God. And if you invite Jesus into your life, he will never deny you. He will come. He will show up. And, and here's why we need to point out, make this point, is because so many of, so many of us hesitate to do that for so many reasons. And don't just let your mind go to like the sinner's prayer, you know, like, dear God, forgive me my sins, blah, blah. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, so many of us hesitate to invite all of Christ into all of our life because we're just afraid or we're comfortable or whatever it may be. And so many of us hesitate for religious or moral reasons. There's a lot of reasons that we hesitate. One of them could be religious or moral. You think that before you extend an invite to Jesus, you've got to make sure that your house is in order. You got to make sure all your affairs in order. And so your life is a mess right now. And you don't want to be seen at your worst. So let's just, let's just wait till our house is in order. Then some of you, this was me for a long, long, long time. Many of us hesitate for intellectual reasons. And we think that we need to figure out God as a problem before we embrace him as the solution. But the funny thing is, especially if you read more of the Bible, funny thing, like with the Bible, the, the more you read it, you actually realize it is reading you. Hopefully, as we'll see even in this text. You think God is a problem to be figured out before he's a solution to be embraced, but in reality, we're the problem and God is the solution. It's actually the exact reverse. And certainly there are... Uh, intellectual questions, doubts, concerns, those things should never be shirked. They should never be left at the front door. But we should also have an an honest epistemological humility, if you will, about the limitations of our own brains and our emotions. This is why you can't figure out who God is and if he's real, and you also can't get along with your roommate when they leave poop in the toilet and don't flush it. Okay, we're, we're limited creatures. I didn't get much response from that. I guess you guys are like, what's poop? Um, where was I? Uh, if you invite Jesus, he will come. Um, reasons, we hesitate. Religious and moral reasons, intellectual reasons. Some of us have agnostic reasons. Some of us uh, just really don't care. And life is kind of working just fine the way that it is. But then you got to Berkeley, and the moment that your career options are threatened, or the moment that you perceive that you're being outperformed by your classmates, which all of you have probably had this experience. If you haven't, you will soon. Um, In that moment, then you you extend kind of a conditional invitation to, to God, Maybe, maybe Jesus specifically, but to a God or some higher power. Uh, and the, the idea is that as long as God is your slave, you're comfortable with that. But the moment that God makes you uncomfortable, you retract the invitation. You'll take him to get your grade. You'll take him to get that relationship. You'll take him to get that job. You'll take him to get that feeling. But the moment it, it, it actually forces you into something that's uncomfortable for you, that perhaps isn't in line with your own truth. God is just this slave that can be executed. He's not Lord. He's not Savior. He's not friend. 
He's not shepherd. He's not bridegroom. You ever notice the words, we, we sing it sometimes in RUF, this, an old hymn, Come Ye Sinners. There's a line in there, I think in verse 2, that says, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. And catch this, if you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. That's why we like to sing songs that are honest about the normal Christian life, because that's true. Um, if, if you tarry, the word tarry is like an old funny word that just means to linger or delay. And if you linger until you're better, you'll never invite Jesus to anything. Because you'll never be better. You will never be better without Jesus. And so point one is just simply invite him now and he will come. Invite him now and he will come. So that's the first point. He's invited to the party. We could, pull, we could tease out so much of this. Like Jesus had a social life. He's a normal guy in a lot of ways. He's invited to the party and he shows up. And when you invite him, he will show up. But let's keep going because there's more. He's not just invited to the party. He's attending the party. He's attending the party. Let me unpack this really quick. This is uh, especially important because um, many of you have toyed with the, idea, with the idea of Jesus or Christianity. Um, you may have even invited Jesus into your life. Um, you may even consider yourself a Christian tonight, um, but you don't feel God's presence anymore. Uh, you had this experience in high school, or you had this experience freshman year, or after first, you know, rough couple of years in college, you had this experience and Jesus felt so real, but now you don't feel his presence and you're numb and you're confused and you're left wondering, did Jesus leave? Did Jesus leave me? Or is he still in attendance? Is he still in attendance? And this story is good news because here we are at this party and one of the, if not the absolute worst things that could happen at a wedding happens. They run out of booze. They run out of alcohol. Now, if you've ever been to a good wedding, all good weddings have alcohol. If you hear anything from me tonight, I'm just kidding. Have, have, <laughs> have an open bar at your wedding if you get married one day. Um, they're like, weddings is about a good wedding if you're looking for a good apologetic for Christianity, go, go to a good wedding, all right, because they're a blast. And so one of the worst possible things, maybe save like the, the, the bride collapsing on stage or something or breaking a leg, walking down the aisle, like they run out of booze, they run out of wine, and that is a moment of chaos at this party. It's a moment of chaos. And the same is true for our lives. The same is true for your life. You see, you may have felt close to God at one point. Last week, a couple of years ago, you may have felt close to God at one point, but the wine ran out. The party is over now. And your mountaintop experience is gone. You're realizing now for the first time, life is not lived on these mountaintops. It actually feels like you're living life down in a valley and it feels like chaos. Your schedule is crazy. It's chaotic. 
Your inner emotional life is crazy and chaotic. Your relationships are crazy. Everything is falling apart. And you're in this valley, and it feels like God is nowhere to be seen, felt, heard, enjoyed, savored, obeyed. That's the last thing on your mind. It's chaos. It's not shalom. It's not peace. It's chaos. And it's in these moments in our lives that this pivotal question comes up. Where do we turn? Where will you turn in those moments? Where do you go when the wine runs out? There's a lot of great things in the world, a lot of things that are very conducive for health and happiness and well-being, but we turn those things into ultimate things. They make great servants and commodities to us in our lives, but they make terrible gods. But we idolize them, so we convince ourselves that we can go to meditation, close our eyes and be quiet, just that. Or we can go to self-care. We can go to positive thoughts. But it doesn't work. It never satisfies. It never sustains. What we really go to in these moments when the wine runs out is we go to isolation. I'll just control my own comfort, so I'll just hide in a room where no one's going to interrupt any of it. We go either willingly or unwillingly to depression. We soak in the trauma of our emotional state. We go to alcohol. I'm a big fan of alcohol, as you just heard me say, but the abuse of alcohol is a way that we... It's what we use to cope with when life runs out on us. We go to drugs. We go to sex. We go to beauty, we go to power, we go to pornography, and uh, we even go to video games. Video games may be one of the worst. I'm a huge fan of video games too. We have these little coping mechanisms, this kind of like morphine drip. If we can just like get a hit of this, that will numb the reality. Anything that will distract us from feeling that feeling that the wine has run out, that life has run out on us. But God is always moving towards us. No matter what we're doing. God is always moving towards us. And here's what we see. Despite what you feel, whether you feel God's presence now or you've never felt God's presence, if all hope is lost, if it feels like the party is ruined and life is over, here's the point. Jesus here in this text now is still attending the party even when the wine runs out. He's there. He's present. He's with you always. He's there. He's attending the party. And sometimes, funny enough, in this text... God moves towards us through other people to catch our gaze and direction. And sometimes it's, it's really unlikely people. He moves towards us to attend to our needs to unlikely people, like in Jesus' case here, um, 
his mother, our mothers, like the folks that we rolled our eyes at in high school or maybe even still now. The, the lady who high school boys or boys whenever you were in middle school and your mom wanted to take a picture of you and your friends around and you wanted to be cool and you wouldn't smile and you just stood there like this. Like oftentimes it's the most unlikely people that are actually um, tending to your needs. It's who God moves towards you through. And so here's Jesus's mother who in his own way has kind of a snarky little response. Here's Jesus's mother whose life literally is lived so close to God, she carried Jesus in her womb, and she sees this problem, and she goes directly to Jesus. And what does she say? In verse 5, what does she say? Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. You know, I think this is um, a lesson in the importance of community. Uh, if you live your life in isolation um, and when inevitably the, ru- the wine runs out, where are you going to go when you have no community to point you in the right direction? Where will you go? Where will you go if you don't have roommates that pick you up in tears after a Friday night spent in torment? Life is not meant to live alone. We need community to attend to our needs and to point us to hope. And even if it feels like Jesus, um, uh, and even if it feels uh, that Jesus never le- like Jesus has left the party or he's not there, you don't, you're not experiencing him in the same way. The point that John's making here is that Jesus never leaves your life, even when he feels like he has. And when the wine runs out, Jesus is still there and he's attending to your needs. You need community. That's why God created a thing called the church. You need community. That's why even, God forbid, you're in a season of life where you have no access to community. God will never leave you. He is always with you, attending. So when Jesus is invited, by recap or summary, when Jesus is invited, he shows up. Um, and when life runs out and it feels like the party is over, Jesus is still attending. Uh, and lastly, he is the one serving at the party. He's invited, he's attending, and he's serving. Um, you know, showing up, is, is a huge part of loving people. Just showing up is a huge part of loving people and attending, right? Attending, staying, even when it's a bit awkward and when the fun is over. Like so many of you experience this, even at RUF events, right? Like Food Truck Friday, whatever it may be, there's moments when you're like, oh my gosh, I kind of want to leave. But your attendance is actually meaningful and impactful to people around you. It speaks volumes to people who feel unlovable, that you're just there. And you're staying. But serving someone, serving someone in need, that's what changes lives. That's what changes lives. At the end of my first year here, some of you, a lot of you know this story. I don't know if any of you, none of you, I guess, were here. Then at the end of my my first year uh, here, it was actually on the, the very, the day of the very last large group that we had. My dad unexpectedly passed away. 
and uh, back in Alabama, and uh, it was the day after, the day he died was the day after our second child was due, and his name is Bo. He did not come that day, and it was just days before my ordination service, and so actually our son was born eventually, and my dad passed away, and we buried my dad, and I had an ordination service, all in a 10-day window, and there were people during that time that was for obvious reasons, the the hardest thing that I've ever been through. And there were people who showed up to give a hug. Uh, And there were people who attended the funeral and attended the ordination service and attended our home whenever Bo was born and said hello. And I was thankful for every bit of that, like extremely thankful for every bit of that. But there was one person in particular who not only showed up. In fact, the day that my dad passed, we were relatively new here. Again, it was my first year here. Um, he showed up by way of like, hey, I'm coming to your house right now. Let's go get a cocktail and talk. Didn't really have any friends here at the time. Um, he not only showed up, he not only attended the ordination service and other things, but he, he served without me even asking. My friend Britton, uh, he called me basically the day of or the day after, and he said, hey, man, don't worry about the ordination service. I'm planning all this stuff in the middle of everything, and then this happens, and it's like, oh, gosh, I've got to, what do you do? It's funny how when tragedy strikes, life keeps rolling. Britton calls me, and he says, don't worry about your ordination service. I will plan it. I will pay for it. I will officiate it. I will buy the food. I will set up the room. I will clean it up afterwards. I will serve. And friends, let me tell you, that has changed my life forever. And I don't care if Britain likes me or not. Britain is somebody that I love more than most people in this universe because of how he showed up and attended and especially served me and my family when we were in the deepest dregs of grief trying to celebrate birth and ordination, and we really didn't know anybody. And Jesus, even better than Britain, right? Jesus is in the business of changing lives for eternity. That's what Jesus does. Jesus takes over. He knows exactly what to do. You see, when the wine runs out and we think the party is over and that the best is behind us, how could this have ever happened to me? My life's not going anywhere. When the be- we think the best is behind us, Jesus saves the best wine for last. And he serves it to us in abundance. That's the picture that John is painting for us here in John chapter 2, that God is not only moving towards you in Jesus, but when your life has hit rock bottom, when your life literally runs out, what he's saying is the best is yet to come through King, Servant, Jesus. Because God is always serving you in Jesus. And it's never-ending and it's abundant. And you notice the imagery here. There are these six 
stone water jars, and I'll just do the math for you really quickly. If you add that all up, the weight that they carried it equaled 150 gallons. 150 gallons of the best wine Jesus brings to this party by way of miracle after everybody's plastered. They've drunk all the wine. The host is freaking out, thinking the party's going to end. There's still more celebrating to do. And Jesus brings the best wine out at the end. So at the very least, I think it's safe to say it's, it's good news that when Jesus is the bartender, there's never a last call. It's abundant. It's overflowing. The, the text here says, um, in verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he's not just serving you an abundance of wine, right? This story, although an actual account of something Jesus experienced, is metaphorical for all of life too, and so is this wine. He's not just serving an abundance of wine, he's serving an abundance of blood. Because these aren't just any jars. These are purification jars. These were purification jars. They were holding this liquid that made you clean, or so the Jews thought in the time. But Jesus is fulfilling the old, and he's inaugurating the new, and he's serving up to you an abundance of grace and truth found only in his sacrificial life and death. It's found only in his blood. And it's blood that fills your veins with life, even as it seeped out of his veins on the cross. This is the beauty of the Christian story, that the creator of the universe, the sovereign God, takes on flesh and in your place stands before God. And and his blood replaces your blood. And his purity becomes your purity. And his fill becomes your fill. And his party becomes your party. And you're no longer serving God, trying to figure out Do I have to do this stuff to be loved by God and loved by people and be successful and all these kinds of things? God is saying in Jesus, I'm always serving you. I'm always serving you and you can come and rest in that. I want this to be a picture that's seared into your hearts that Jesus is always moving towards us and he's showing up in your life even when he's not invited. He's attending your life, even when it feels like life has run out and he's nowhere to be seen. And he is serving you life itself, even when we're unable to do anything for ourselves. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this night and we thank you that you've given us uh, your word because you love us and it is a guide um, to us and a light into our path. And we pray this night that Jesus would become more beautiful and more believable than anything that we drink to cope with the valleys of life that we inevitably experience. We pray that um, even this night and, and after a large group, that Jesus would be near and dear to us. And we pray in his name. Amen.